0: My attitude towards dental health is probably not the same as most Americans because we literally don't <laughs> care about our teeth in England at all. Why is that, by the way? You know, you know, Rory, I have got absolutely no idea. It is so weird. I grew up in a town of 9,500 people. There was one dentist. <laughs> was one dentist which is now apparently closed by the way <laughs> so obviously we don't care literally i live in ann arbor i know like 10 10 dentists
1: hey welcome to the detroit dad cast i'm your host regular dad rory hughes if you're looking to eavesdrop on some real conversations with regular dads you are in the right place You might gain an insight about being a dad, you might have a laugh, or you might just nod your head and say, man, I can totally relate. Thanks for listening. For this episode, I sat down with my good friend, James Boardman, a man who single-handedly forced me to change the podcast policy on profanity. James riffs on the curiously poor dental health in England, the life of a stay-at-home dad, growing up in a cult having a winless record in arguments against his badass lawyer wife, developing flavor in the kitchen, and his spiritual death and subsequent awakening after losing his sister. James is one of the most generous, reflective, and genuine people I know. He's also British, so that makes him more fun to listen to. Um, I do want to apologize for the ticking noise in the background. Um, The Boardman family just got a dog, and apparently the dog is wagging its tail. Don't worry, we're not going to bore you and talk about the dog. Literally.
0: Don't come in here. I'm going to be talking to Rory for about an hour from 8 o'clock till 9. Come in here at fucking 5 past 8. I've just settled the dog down,
1: and the dog just fucking jumps up at them all the time. This It's so funny. This is a great starting point because we set this appointment a month ago. Oh, yeah. Can I let, nail you down for Tuesday night, February second? And this, this is this is the life. This is the life of being a parent.
0: Let's well, this, is, this is exactly the point. You should probably, You could be recording this right now as well, right?
1: Give me again the name and ages of your kids. So Lily is eleven.
0: She is in sixth grade, top middle school. Um, and Pippa is nine. And she is in third grade at Burns Park Elementary School. Uh, Well, actually, they're down in my fucking basement because apparently our other schools can't get their act together.
1: Tell me about being a stay-at-home dad in the 21st century. It's
0: been an experience. It's been really hard. You know, you are basically at the whim, (laughs) you know, of your children. You really don't have time for anything but them especially in the beginning i mean we all we're all have been in the same boat but you know it's just basically devotion to bringing them up and making sure that you're there for them has it gotten any easier over time yeah um well i mean it's definitely gotten easier over time i mean the girls now are at the point where they're not they're obviously not self-sufficient because they're 11 and 9 but they basically do them constantly they just they they go you know they put themselves to bed they don't get themselves up in the morning yet but they make their own food and stuff like that so it's been that that's nice that's a good transition whereas you know in the beginning you have to change in shitty diapers and all that fun stuff right you know obviously you've got the when they're really young you've got the trials and tribulations of like, you know, you gotta to go to the bathroom, you know, you have to remember to take your diaper bag with you. I mean, how many times I forgot the fucking diaper bag is countless. <laughs> like literally, you've got to be kidding me. Mm-hmm. You know, you've driven like, you know, five miles to like, you know, the metro park and kids taking a shit as soon as you got there and you realize you forgot the
1: diaper bag and you gotta drive all the way fucking back. <laughs> So yeah, this, that then there, what about the parental involvement uh, in youth sports over there, as opposed to here, like the way a parent looks at their child's say soccer uh, experience over here versus over there. I mean, I just have this vision, like in Manchester, just, they just give their nine-year-old kid a six pack and and say, go out to the pitch. I'll see you in four hours. And they don't really care how it goes. How, How does it go?
0: Basically, Okay, <laughs> that's kind of it probably two six-packs in fairness uh, <laughs> especially where i'm from uh um yeah um when i was when i was growing up playing i played for my local side um which didn't cost any money by the way that's a huge difference that's another huge difference i should say is that it's so expensive here? Pippa plays for Michigan Tigers, and I, I can't remember the exact number, but it's an atrocious amount <laughs> for like playing a sport for like a nine-year-old.
1: It's just it's silly. In England, it's just it's paid for by the government, basically. It's
0: basically paid for. The club kind of like does fundraisers and pays its own money. The only money that we had to pay, uh, or my parents or me had to pay were the referees fees for the game and everything was provided for by the club. They had good fundraising. Um, all clubs were like this. There are so many small youth clubs. Um, you know, you just go out there and hope you get spotted by a professional scout so you can go and try out an academy. But parents,
1: but parents weren't as involved. Did they come
0: to games? Well, (laughs) <laughs> when it comes down to me, no, but I, I think we're going to get onto that probably. Um,
1: Cause you were a pretty good player, right?
0: I was, I was, I was decent. Um, a lot of people have always told me that I was kind of like a wasted talent because I just kind of just dicked around basically. Um, unbeknownst to me, I actually have had ADHD for a long time and I was not medicated for a long time i mean obviously i'm not just blaming that but no doubt that that didn't help um when it comes to like parents watching they came to watch our games at like a small like you you know the smaller youth leagues that we had but when you go to academy level the parents you're allowed to be there but you have to stand back you're not allowed to say a thing Because if you do, it's bye bye, Johnny. Because I don't want to put up with your shit. Because there are literally, there's literally a conveyor belt of kids coming in wanting to play. And so if somebody's a pain in the ass, then it's like, okay, bye, I can't be dealing with you because you're not that good.
1: Going back to your upbringing a little bit, James. I know you're from Manchester. Yep. What what I know about Manchester is I was a big fan of uh, Oasis. They're yep. Manchester, right? <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I think about chippers and you know, guys smoking cigarettes and and blasting the Sex Pistols. And I know you you didn't grow up with too much money, right? Uh. Yo, yeah. Yeah. No, we, we we had no money growing up. Yeah, M-
0: me growing up, it was just my mom. We lived in <laughs> this little three-story townhouse, which oh my god, it literally a shoebox, like three shoeboxes on top of each other. But it's just tiny. But that's what my that's what's what my mom did. She that's all, that's what she afforded. She went out and she worked her ass off every day, so me and my sister could you know. Our food on the table clothes on our back roof over our head it was cool i was brought up for the first for the first eight to nine years of my life my parents were in a cult biblical research institute whatever they want to call themselves it's okay. a cult we'll call it what it is it's called the way international it's actually not far from here. It's actually two, uh, the, the base is actually two hours south of here um, in New Knoxville, which is actually right near the city where Neil Armstrong was born. Okay. Um, so my parents were in that, that is actually how they met. Um, and what were the major beliefs of this cult? And so, <laughs> So I mean, it's it's biblical research. So obviously, they believe in God, but they had a different way of uh, they have they have a different way of expressing the Bible and what it means. So they were Pentecostal in a way because they spoke in tongues. Mm-hmm. Um, they were great believers in people are possessed. By devil spirits, but people who don't believe in what they believe, are possessed by devil spirits. If you can believe where where this conversation's going, <laughs> right? And and so this was the first ten years of my life, by the way. And so, um, other things is like uh, they deal with situations, unfavorable situations, uh, with anger. Mm-hmm. I, I don't understand the the purpose of that, but the, the best example, I've got two examples for you really quickly is the first one is my mom has told me, I've never really had the deep conversation with this about my mom. She knows I'm aware of it. She knows I'm not particularly happy about it, <laughs> uh, but there's nothing I can do. I mean, I, I was young and they, you know, they were just doing what they were doing. Um, she, we were, at what they call like a ministry one year. And so they were up doing their what's called, what was it called again? P-F-A-L, Powerful Abundant Living Class is what they called it. And there were different stages that you had to go through to like be, I don't know, saved or whatever you wanna call it. Um, so apparently they're all doing this class, all the kids are downstairs, asleep and so yeah all the kids are just downstairs asleep You you're youngsters or whatever so my mom comes down to check on me and all the kids but guess who wasn't asleep this guy wrecked the room i had just like torn this room apart i was two i just like got up and i torn this room apart and i was just like oh whatever and so my mom's putting it back together and they come in they come in it's like and they basically scolded my mom for not controlling me mm. <laughs> i'm like I, I know my mom told me this and i'm just like really like you weren't even with me you were upstairs anyway and you would have stopped mm. me from doing it surely mm. <laughs> right and then get this one this is how good my dad is quote unquote cult has put me off religion completely like religion i i i it's not like I don't think that people should religious religion when it's used in the right way is a wonderful thing and should be done. I think it's actually a great thing. Um, but my experience with it has been so bad that I just I i can't I can't do that again. <laughs> it's, just, it's just the way it is uh, in my head. It was really cool before I start on my dad. It was really cool listening to all the other podcasts and listening to the stories about your friend, their dads just seemed present really cool and they were there for their kids. And this is just gonna be a different conversation right now. Mm-hmm. And that's just, that's just the way it is. Basically from the age of 10 onwards, my dad really wasn't there for me or my sister. He lived close by, and of course, I saw him. Um, but uh, to be honest, uh, his influence on me was really bad. I can't—I mean, I can't really put it in any other way. What I'm thinking when I think back now to like some of the things that he had us do, he had like me and my sister like out with this woman. And telling us not to tell my mom that we did that we were, we were there with them. There's wow. not, yeah, there's not much to say about that, is there? <laughs> I mean, when I think, when I think about it, I'm like, that's pretty fucked
1: up. Hi, was there an uncle or a coach or a teacher?
0: or Really didn't, honestly, really didn't have one.
1: Yeah, I didn't,
0: I, I, I really didn't have, um, A huge male influence in my life for a long time my only male influences were my peers at school. I had teachers, um, obviously male teachers, but the way that you describe your teachers, uh, I've heard you describe some of your teachers in some of your podcasts, and I know Mrs said the same thing. Because um, it sounds like Flint Central was a pretty cool school to go to. Um, I don't really remember any teachers being that influential on me. Um, I also remember being a bit of a penis in school as well, though. So, <laughs>
1: so it probably didn't help. Um, when you think about your own parenting, mm-hmm. what do you what do you draw on or who do you draw on A lot of people go to their, you know, their family of origin. I'm sure your mom has some impact on that too, but.
0: She nods. Yeah, that's been, um, that's been tough. And that's been challenging because obviously my influence was really poor. You know, a a lot of the, a lot of the time um, I had, I I had to wing it. I'm not going to lie. I didn't, um, I didn't really seek out any advice from people on like, what do i do here what do i do here i just kind of try to learn as i go um yeah it's not it's not really something that um uh, it's not really something that i thought to do while i was doing it do you know what i mean because i was just so into like just being with the girls and especially when pippa came along because then you got two it's uh yeah you're just kind of trying to like do the best you can and I think that that's what we all do, right? I mean, when we all become a parent, it's like, fuck, what now? Yeah. The big battles is like is like a big thing. I think that if you get too stressed out over a single thing, I think that if you're showing stress to your children, that's just not gonna get the reaction that you need and you want at that time. They're gonna see what's going on. They're not gonna react favorably to that. So it's it's um the best example i've got is <laughs> we've got a <laughs> uh, we we're up north at our cottage in lincoln that you've been up to and uh, some of our friends are trying to get their son to bed and it's bedtime he wants to and they want him to brush his teeth he doesn't want to brush his teeth and literally this fucking argument between an adult and a five-year-old lasted for 30 fucking minutes over brushing teeth just put him to fucking bed dude (laughs) seriously i mean literally one night he's not gonna brush his teeth what's gonna happen nothing his those teeth are gonna fall out anyway i get that i know i know my attitude towards dental health is probably not the same as most Americans because we literally don't <laughs> care about our teeth in England at all. Why is that, by the way? You know, you know, Rory, I have got absolutely no idea. It is so weird. I grew up in a town of 9,500 people. There was one dentist. <laughs> there was one dentist, which is now apparently <laughs> closed, by the way. Was, uh, so obviously we don't care. Literally. I live in Ann Arbor. I know like 10, 10 dentists. I'm like, that's the, I mean, that's just the difference. I mean, like it's the over under, right. It's like, it's like, that's a huge difference in English and American culture by the way.
1: And so I know your, your wife very well. I've known her almost my whole life. Yep. And uh, so she's an attorney and she's very, very successful and very effective. What is it like being married to a lawyer? Do you do you ever win any arguments? I mean, tell me a little bit about that. No.
0: I mean, you know Misha anyway. And like anyone who's listening, like all the guys that know Misha, they know I'm not winning any arguments at all. Because Misha's like really... Misha's really smart and really switched on, right? And she's, she argues for a living, which doesn't help my case anyway. But she's, she's really good with words. And she just will manipulate a conversation or argument in a way that just goes in her favor. And I'm just like, so when you talk about pick your battles, it's the same in married life too for me. So I'm like, OK, yeah, I, I'm not going to I'm not even going to go there with that one because, you know, you're going to win.
1: Right. So th- so there's no point in even trying to prove that you're right because it's not going to get you anywhere. It's even
0: if I am right. And, you know, <laughs> on occasion I am on occasion, but because she's a lawyer, she has this natural tendency to rebot and try and get all the information yeah. and so it's just it becomes <laughs> it becomes overwhelming for me because one of the issues i have is my memory recall is not that great i have a really poor working memory mm. and so um in fact it's really bad and so when i'm conversing with somebody oh I'll, I'll fucking forget <laughs> what we're even talking about because i'm like shit, what was I saying? What are we talking about? Oh God, I can't even remember now. And I'll lose and I'll go off on this tangent
1: that that doesn't even have anything to do with it. And then it's just pointless at that point. So I cook a decent amount, not as much as you and I'm into it. I really do enjoy it. Um, But like, and I think more and more nowadays, dads are cooking more. So I'm going to ask you as a budding restaurateur, what would be like, a couple of key things to know or skills to learn in order to, to have a good baseline to being a decent at home cook, being a decent at home cook. Yeah. Like some, some fundamentals, like whether it's make sure you balance this with that, or I don't know, man, that's why I'm asking you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Knife skills are the most, uh, one of the most important things. I mean, that's the first thing that they throw at us immediately in culinary school is you've got to, base, you've, you've got to know how to cut your product properly. So it cooks properly.
1: Mm-hmm. If you
0: don't cut it to the size that you need, it's not going to be as good as it could
1: be. So if the recipe says diced and you do a rough chop, it's not going to taste it?
0: Yes and no, because it just depends what you're making.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: uh but the idea is sometimes you're getting you if you you want the dice because you want even cooking through the
1: whole through the whole dish and to get even cooking everything has to be the same size right i got gotcha. you okay so knife skills now what do i do can i go on youtube and google Knife skills? I can teach you. I can teach you knife skills, Rory. That's okay. That's a good. Because the last time I cut in front of you, you you made fun of me. Now I did have a bad knife. To be fair, you did have a terrible knife, but I will I will I will teach you. It's fine.
0: And developing flavor, so that's the other big thing is, and that's my the last my last rotation that I had at school was, one of the classes was uh, restaurant operations. And we were prepping food for the line for the restaurant, because there's a, there's a restaurant at Schoolcraft college. And so you get to learn like kind of on the job, but you're actually a student. So you can make as many mistakes as you want and they don't care. And you don't actually get graded down for making mistakes while you're cooking because they almost want you to make mistakes so they can actually teach you like this, this, and this. You know, you're expected to read just literature and, you know, when you're when there's lectures and stuff like that, you know, they expect you to listen, but they don't expect you to not make mistakes. You know what I mean? It's just that that would be ridiculous because it's a school at the end of the day. It sounds like our our education system could learn from that. I I, uh, 100 percent agree. It's probably the English
1: education system could learn from that, too. Uh, So developing flavor. And is, the, is that all about contrast, texture?
0: So you get your t- you know, you get your typical recipe from like the internet and say, I wanna make beef stew tonight, and you look up a recipe and it's got the usual stuff. So you've got your beef, you've got your onions, your carrots, your celery, you got tomato paste, you've got your beef stock, you got pretty much everything, right? And then so it, it says, like, you know, brown your beef cubes, season and brown your beef cubes, cut up, up your veg. It's important at this point to cut your veg to the right size. It never usually says that.
1: <laughs> to your earlier point.
0: Yeah. Um, and then the important thing is, depending on whether it's a dish with a brown sauce or a white sauce, depending on how deep you cook those, you have to understand that. Um with a obviously with a dish with a darker sauce you want to really caramelize your vegetables so you get what's called the Maillard effect which is basically the caramelization of the sugars on mm-hmm. the vegetables i know i'm sounding like fucking Gordon ramsay here or something but
1: you know. you're, <laughs> you're you're going you're preaching well this is this
0: is how it does and then the one thing that i've always noticed that doesn't happen in any of those recipes, is that when you add the tomato paste, I did say tomato and not tomato. I hope you just noticed that. I've been slightly impanized. Tomato paste goes in, but never explains why. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know why until I went to school. Mm-hmm. And 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 the guy who showed me, which was another chef chef, Marcus, basically said. Recipes never say this and it really annoys the crap out of me because you have to do what's called pinch the tomato paste. But pinching the tomato paste just means to cook it. But you cook it to a certain point where it has this sweet flavor and you put it in with your vegetables and you basically just stir it around until it, until it gets this sweet flavor and what the good test is, a good test is like tasting the tomato paste before you put it in and tasting it after you've put it in. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. It's so different. And then, so what you do is then you stir the tomato paste around and it, it creates a, like a sticky film, called, uh, called a fond on the bottom of the pan. And this is where your, this, the next part of your flavor development helps right? Because then what you do after you've stirred that in and you get the sweet flavor, you then deglaze the pan because nobody explains why you deglaze the pan. Well, the reason you deglaze the pan is because you need to get the flavor that you've just created back into the food. You don't let that stuff that's on the bottom of the pan stay there. You've got to get it into your food to create flavor. And every time you do that, you're building flavors. So every time you see a creation of like, you know, a little stuff on the bottom of your pan like deglaze the pan so you get your stock and you then you just basically scrape the pan and you stir it all together and that's how you get that nice developed rich flavor instead of just throwing it in the crock pot for eight hours which still tastes good Mm -hmm. don't get me wrong but i'll guarantee you if you did it tomorrow and i did it tomorrow you did the crock pot i did my way i know i know who would taste better yeah because, no
1: question about that.
0: Right. Yeah. No. Not. Not because I'm saying like, yes, I am good at cooking food, but it's learning the techniques. Right. We make good
1: food, and the understanding of the why behind
0: it. Yes. Exactly. Well, that's what culinary school teaches you. It's all about the why, and it's all about discipline.
1: Um. If you think about James Boardman, before your first kid and James and James Boardman. now what's different?
0: (laughs) Am I I allowed to swear? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm not as much of a dick. (laughs) Put it that way. The difference between me now and like a lot of, a lot of the guys in the other podcasts have talked about spirituality and stuff. Um, I'm certainly not a religious person, um, just because of my upbringing too. I just stay with the spirituality side and I've certainly tried to connect more with myself and just life in general and like appreciating just like being here. Because to be honest, there were periods in my life where I was just not present with myself, Mm -hmm. just drinking stupid amounts of alcohol Mm -hmm. and just being an idiot. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I stopped drinking. I'm now almost six years sober or whatever it is. I have absolutely no desire to drink whatsoever. Like, you know, like when people are like alcoholics and they're struggling and they can't put it down, that's not me. Wow. And
1: I, you, you didn't I, go through a program or anything or did I you didn't
0: go through a program? Yes. I went through one straight away afterwards and it was based at, uh, St. John's hospital. Uh, bless them. They were really cool. I can't remember what the name of the program is now, but I had to go in. I went once a week, probably for about, I'd say eight, was it eight months? It might have been eight months. I can't exactly remember how long it was now. Mm-hmm. Well, I went once a week, committed, you know, committed to it, like just listen to other people and, you know, talk to them. And, you know, like I ended up making a couple of friends from there for a brief period of time. I don't speak to any of them anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also kind of got me in touch with like how lucky I am because, you know, because to say I'm in – to say I, like, I, was, I was not addicted to alcohol the way that I saw some of these people addicted to alcohol or drugs. Mm-hmm. And it made me appreciate myself more and what I have. Yeah. Whereas I just kind of like, been kind of flowing along for a little while. Mm-hmm. You know, I was kind of on autopilot, you know, with the kids and especially like once Lily got into school and then I was just with Pippa and then Pippa started school and she was going to daycare. So then I was kind of like, you know, just kind of like doing my own thing. And it just was, I I just, it was, it just wasn't a good place to be in, to be honest with
1: you. Mm -hmm. You spent so much of your time and energy on those kids and, and yeah, I mean, it sounds like then they're in school now and yeah, some, what's left yeah you know, something's got to go in place there yeah
0: well um, I can well I can kind of liken it to in a way is i don't know if you've seen the um tiger woods documentary yet have you yeah. seen, have you mm-hmm. seen that so yeah. in a way i liken myself to tiger where basically his dad was a dick
1: mm-hmm
0: But when his dad died or left his life, he had this void and he filled it with nonsense. Mm -hmm. And I filled mine with nonsense. We had that that kind of similar thing, although Mm -hmm. not the same,
1: but it was just... Because you lost your sister, Sarah, how long ago?
0: Uh, So it's almost... It's going to be 10 years in June. Mm -hmm. Um, This was kind of the culmination of everything too. And this is kind of why I lost myself. It was... I was questioning a lot. Um, I lost my sister in June, 2011. And then I lost one of my best friends in December, 2012. Hmm. And so that really hit me harder than I thought it it had done. When I think back now, right. It hit me massively Hmm. because I had, you know, obviously I had missions to talk to and my kids to look after and my mom to, you know, I had people to talk to, but I didn't really seek it out. And it was like the, probably the dumbest thing I've ever done is Mm -hmm. to just like go and talk about it. Yeah. that's, you know, I, I didn't help myself by, by not doing that. Um, Yeah, it was so that that was that was a real that was a real struggle, especially the one obviously, like losing a sibling. I mean, Sarah and I were pretty close, but then just all of a sudden, like one of my best friends dies, too. And I was just like, what? the?" Basically, I was like, what the fuck is going on? Mm. Like, it was really, really difficult, but it had to take another five year, four years or whatever it was. And then I had to stop drinking. And now I'm still working on it now, five years later, just to you know, understand where I was at, at that point. And I'm in a miles better place than I was mm-hmm. at that point, for sure. I mean, I'm in a really good place, right? I'm, I'm a very happy human being right now. Mm-hmm.
1: It, it's very impressive, man, just to see. And I, I've obviously seen a lot of the... Mm-hmm the challenges and the, and the growth over the last several years. And it's like, they say you either get busy living or get busy dying.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. No, I mean, you were very supportive there, Rory, for a period. Man. I've always appreciated that because, you know, I, I will say that I think about it now and when I no, it's not trouble, but I remember like being at home back in England Nobody would have reached out to me like you did or like some other people did. Even though I had like kind of a close set of friends, that's just not, that just wouldn't have happened. So it was, I've always appreciated it. It was really cool. Thanks for saying that, man. My pleasure, man.
1: Quick fire challenge. Uh
0: Uh-oh.
1: All right. right, um, Get that one in. (laughs) All right. Question <laughs> number, question number one. British or American version of The Office? British by a long way. Do you say math or mats? maths? Maths. <laughs> you say maths.
0: There's a th okay. in it, buddy.
1: Aren't, okay. Aren't you a teacher? Come on. What is the most accurate stereotype about british people besides that they have bad teeth uh oh that's a good
0: question um it depends uh it depends on where in england you're from really um i mean we like to drink a lot don't we let's be honest
1: (laughs) (laughs) the weather sucks so yeah yeah um what do you, what would be an unfair stereotype about british people one that's not
0: really true
1: oh yeah. fucking hell that's a good question um
0: have you got an example of any british stereotypes and i can kind of maybe stop you just while we're there
1: well i would well i think a lot of people say british food is not good
0: well they i mean yeah is that true i mean Again, it depends where you go. British food has developed a lot in the last 20 years. But when I was growing up, British food was gash.
1: (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um, Are you offended that people are now calling the new COVID variant the UK strain? Oh,
0: no. No, but you know what? Uh, I don't... Can can I go there? (laughs) I mean, it... It's idiotic to give any kind of disease a nationality, isn't it? Let's be honest. What kind of fucking idiot would do that? (laughs) Favorite footballer of all time? Diego Armando Maradona. Okay. If you don't know who he is right now, there is a on-demand, on Xfinity, it's free, about him. Literally, this this guy was. I mean, and he bugged England up the ass, but he's still my favorite player because he's just mental. <laughs> he's absolutely mental. He just died recently, actually. God rest his soul, man. He was. Uh, he was. He's the best. He's the best player I've ever
1: seen. So, in what ways, specifically, your kids have grown you up? grown me up oh wow mm. that is a fabulous question
0: wow um well they've definitely taught me to be uh humble that's for sure <laughs> i mean literally like wiping somebody else's ass i mean what is more humbling than wiping somebody else's ass let's be honest right yeah yeah I mean, yep. I'm a completely different person from when, you know, the kids were born. They've just helped me grow into a better person. Mm-hmm. You know, I just a, a better human. I like, I, I enjoy being a father. It's fun. It's very challenging, very difficult at times, but it's, yeah, just like growth
1: in all areas of life has been tr- You can send a single text message. To an expectant father. Oh, yeah. What do you say?
0: (laughs) Sleep. (laughs) That's it. Get the kids to sleep. Literally, like, the best thing that I ever did for us, and this was me, I can claim this, and Misha will tell you, is that I made sure that the kids slept when they needed to. And I didn't necessarily keep them on the schedule that, you know, like people will say like, oh, they've got to be at eight o'clock. You know, you see people getting stressed out about, oh, they've got to be at eight, they've got to be at 12. But he's still sleeping, he's supposed to be at eight. Do you know why he's still sleeping? Because he needs to be fucking asleep. So don't go and wake him up. Just let him be, please. Like for your own sanity, like people will just stress themselves out over some like literally you have complete control over it. It's it 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 it, it, dr- it drives you. with what you can't tell people how to be, I know there's that golden rule, you can't teach people tell people how to be a parent, right? Mm-hmm. But there's advice that you can give, like you said, like the one thing that I would say, and is like, I wish I could have, I don't know how Galvin's doing, but like that's the one thing I would have said to Sean. Mm-hmm is like make sure you let the kids sleep like and even like when you put them down and you walk away and they start bawling and you walk back in the room you're done because as soon as you walk back in that room that's it they know that every time they cry you're going to come back in you got to let them help them self-soothe because as soon as they learn how to self-soothe it's like easy it goes on for five minutes at the most and then that's it. And that I mean that's what that's one thing. That's the one one thing that I would send them. There was something else I was gonna say, and to be honest, because my ADDS has been working overtime, I can't remember what it was.
1: <laughs> well, I asked for one, so that's good. Listening back to that, I realized that so much of what we talked about had nothing to do with being a dad per se, but at the same time, it reminded me of something I read, uh, something along the lines that our, our, our kids don't pay attention so much to what we say or even to what we do, but more so to who we are. And when James talked about things like humility and self-awareness, and when he spoke about his passion for cooking and for soccer, I couldn't help but think, His kids have to be picking that up. Um, And it's something that I think we should all hope for is to not just talk about those qualities that we want to see in our kids, but to embody them. Hey, if you liked what you heard, if it added any value for you, please tell a friend or leave a review. And if you're a dad or you want to talk about dads, reach out to me. I'll get you on the podcast. Thanks for listening.